Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Morning. Sometimes God kind of puts you in different places. You sense that in worship services sometimes. Um, and I appreciate everything that John had to say about Joe. But before I stepped up close enough to see Joe on his knees, I was backstage praying. And all of a sudden I could hear you guys singing more than you normally sing. And I could hear that. And it sounded great. <laughs> and got my attention to where I finished up my prayer pretty quick and came out. Because I wanted to stand and, and, and watch you guys worship. Uh, John said he, he'd cut into my sermon time. He didn't do that. He might cut into your lunch time. <laughs> be, be, because, because what we're talking about this morning about prayer... It's central to us getting to the place that we're like what he was talking about with, with Joe over here. We're doing this series piggybacked onto the last series. We talked for seven weeks about reasons why the Bible is the Word of God. And if that's true, that means we need to be doing something about what the Bible says. Since the Bible is true, do something about what you believe. Last week, we started out the series talking about if the Bible's true, you ought to read it. Amen? That, that's kind of foundational. But, but it's more than just reading it. The Bible calls us to prayer. And, and guys, you kind of jump ahead down to that verse, uh, John, uh, there. What we're talking about today is prayer. The Bible clearly calls us in several places to prayer. But Paul wrote this to Timothy, who he was instructing in the faith to really be a pastor. And he said, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. He said, first of all, the so prayer needs to have a very, very, very central, important part in what we do as a church and what we do as believers individually. So, so the Bible calls us to prayer. The question I have is this, are you doing that? Are you talking to God? And probably all of us would kind of have to be guilty and say, you know what, I, I do, but I don't do it as much as I ought to. And I'm not sure when you'd ever get to the point that you think, man, I'm praying all I ought to pray. So I think all of us need to pray more. And I think sometimes we hesitate about our prayer life because we maybe heard people pray in these long, eloquent sermons as we're growing up and we kind of think, well, I can't do that. I, I got news for you. You don't have to do that. <laughs> if you know Christ as your Savior, you just need to talk to Him like He's your Father. And, and last week when I, when I started talking about Reading the Bible, that's the first step, kind of, in having a communication. We're allowing God to speak to us, 
as we read the Bible, but that's only half the side of, of the communication. And if you're going to have fellowship with somebody, if only one person does all the talking and you never talk at all, that's not much of a relationship or fellowship. So if we're going to have the kind of fellowship with God that we need to have, yes, we need to listen to him, but he wants to listen to us. He wants us to be talking to him also. So this morning, I want to just help you out some, I hope maybe, about your prayer life. And I'm going to give you some, some definitions and uh, some examples of what I think the Bible teaches prayer ought to be about. Because too often, I think we boil prayer down to thinking it's only when we need something that we come to God like he's Santa Claus or something and say, God, give me this stuff. And if that's all your prayer life is, you won't have a very detailed prayer life. But prayer has a whole lot more to do than, than just asking God for something. So as we walk through this series, let me give you just some quick definitions. I'll give you a definition from Nelson's Bible Dictionary to start with. And it's kind of the end of their definition. But I really like what it, what it says uh, here as, as we start talking about some, some definitions of, of, of prayer. Here's what Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary says. Effective prayer must be a scripturally informed response of persons saved by grace to the living God who can hear and answer on the basis of Christ's payment of the penalty which sinners deserve. In other words, Jesus paid the price that we owed. He died for us. We, we deserved that punishment, but he took it for us. In effective prayer... I mean, anyone can just throw out something that's a prayer. We're talking about effective prayer. Effective prayer needs to be a scripturally informed response. In other words, we need to know how to pray based upon what the Bible says. Not just about what your whims are, not just about what you want, but based upon what the Bible says about prayer if we want it to be effective praying. And the kind of person that can gain God's attention up front is the person that's saved by grace. We don't have access to holy God until we're saved by the amazing grace of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that shed blood of Jesus, that gives us access in the very throne room of God. So let's look at some uh, so some definitions or some uh uh, examples maybe from the Bible, what it says, some important aspects uh, about prayer uh, found in the Bible. This might sound really simplistic, but I think some people miss this part of it. Prayer to begin with involves faith in God. It, it involves faith in God. He, Hebrews eleven six and 7 says, And without faith it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Now, to me, that's kind of really simple. Why are you praying if you don't believe God exists to start with? Amen? And yet some statistics over the several years that Barna and other people have been taking, more people will admit that they pray than believes in God. My question is, why and who are you praying to? <laughs> Because prayer 
To start with, it has to be someone that, that, that has faith in God. If we're going to draw near to God, whether it be in prayer or in any other faction, we, we have to believe that he exists and believe that he rewards. He, he can answer the prayer. He, he, can, he can respond to us. So we need to believe that, that, that God actually exists or why in the world would you pray? And, and the, the truth of the matter is we keep going through Hebrews over in chapter 4 it lets us know that we can have confidence to pray. It says in, uh, in, in chapter 4, verse 16, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find help in the time of need. So we're told, draw to God, come to his throne. We're to draw with confidence, and a lot of people say, how in the world can I do that? Because God's holy and I'm not. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. Well, here's what gives us the confidence as Christians to draw near to God. Here's why you can pray. Here's why you can walk into the very throne room of God and make your prayer request known to him. Therefore, brothers, in Hebrews chapter 10, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, notice how, by the blood of Jesus. That's what gives me the confidence to approach God. Not myself, not who I am, not because we gather together and we say we're a church. What gives me the confidence and what should give you the confidence to draw near to God is this. Jesus shed his blood for you. Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, opened access for you into the very throne room of God by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Some people never, ever approach God in prayer because they don't feel worthy. Hey, guess what? I'm not worthy and no one else is. But because Jesus is worthy and because I put my faith in Jesus, I can approach God. And I can approach him not with a guilty conscience, but with a clean conscience because Jesus paid for all my sins. We, but we, that's the first primary step into approaching God in prayer is that we need to believe that, that he exists. Secondly, prayer also ought to involve this. Prayer should involve worship and adoration. I, I want you to notice something as we go through this, this message outline. I'm going to get to a part in a moment when I say prayer involves making requests to God. But I'm going to tell you a whole lot of stuff you ought to do before you start saying, God, I need this and God, I need that. You need to believe that he is, but because of who he is, you need to approach God with worship and adoration. Don't previously call upon God like he's just somebody out on the street. <laughs> Recognize who God is. And, and when you are coming before him in prayer, think about that for a minute. That will put your prayer life in perspective. That will put what you're getting ready to ask God in perspective if you'll think about who he is. A good example of recognizing that is what took place that Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. In other words, there's this king that Isaiah thought a whole lot about. So the king of kings said, I'm going to show you someone that's more important. 
And he saw God high upon his throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him there stood seraphim, these created beings. Each has six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Even these created beings who are not sinners that God had created to worship him. They recognize the holiness of God to the degree that they covered their face before God. And as they were flying, they were yelling out, holy, holy, holy. You see, if we get a perspective of the holiness of God, that will put us in perspective when we approach him to ask him for anything. Another way to say holy, 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 when you look at some of the original words that's used there, you can also say, hey, different, different, different. God is different. He's holy and you're not. He's holy and I'm not. And that's why we need to remember that before we start to, to approach him in, in, in prayer. A similar situation happened in Revelation. When, when John on the Isle of Patmos is allowed to, uh, to, to see this worship experience taking place, uh, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Look what happens in Revelation. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We need to have that type of perspective and that type of response toward God. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. I've heard some people talk before about not hardly can they wait until they get to heaven because they want to get to heaven and get their reward. I've got news for you. If you trust Christ as your savior and you make it to heaven, it's not because of your works. It's because of what Jesus did. And yes, the Bible talks about a reward, but you're not going to stick it on your head and walk around and parade and brag about what you've done. You're going to throw all that at the feet of Jesus. And that's the attitude we need to have when we approach God in prayer, recognizing he is holy and bowing before him when we approach him in, in prayer. Because of his great love for us, because he proved his great love for us by sending his son to die on the cross, we ought to love him and tell him that we love him and worship him and adore him as part of our prayer life. Don't just rush into your prayer time and say, God, I need this and God, I need that. You need to spend some time recognizing who he is and worshiping him and adoring him. Jesus told the rich young ruler when he come up asking what's the, you know, the most important commandment. He said, you're to love the Lord, your God there in Matthew with all your heart, with all your mind and all of your soul. Hey, if you love somebody like that, you normally, it will pop out in what you say. Amen? Uh, you, you might be showing it by your actions. We ought to show that we love people by our actions and also by our words. I've actually counseled with people before, uh, and they're having a little bit of struggle in their marriage, and sometimes a lady will say things like this, well, he doesn't ever tell me that he loves me. And, uh, and, and the guy, because we're numbskulls a lot of time, will sit there and say, well, you ought to know that I love you. And I kind of want to reach across my desk and slap him around and say, tell her so she knows it for sure. 
And, and God wants us to do the same thing. We, we need to approach God in worship, in adoration, and we need to tell Him that we love Him. We need to communicate our love to Him. And we need to give Him praise also as we are showing our worship and adoration to Him. We ought to praise Him even as we're praying. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Seven times a day, David writes, I praise you for your righteous rules. We need to let God know how much we love Him and worship Him and adore Him in our prayer life. And if you'll start to do that, your prayer life will become a lot more significant than if you just kind of get in trouble and say, well, God, here I am again. I need you to do something. If we're really going to pray as we should, we need to, we need to be recognizing who God is and worshiping Him and, and, and glorifying Him with our lips and Him hear us say it to Him. Prayer also should involve thanksgiving. It should involve us giving our thanks to God. I want to point out to you again, have I said anything about us making a request yet? Not yet. We're not that, at that point yet. If you just go right straight to your prayer request, you won't ever have a very detailed prayer life. I can make a list probably of everything that I think I need and even include stuff in it I don't need and read off the list in less than five minutes probably. So if all you're doing is praying your request to God, you're not having the kind of prayer life that God wants you to have. It ought to involve worship and praise and adoration of him, but it often involves thanksgiving. First Thessalonians, Paul wrote these words. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Now here's the tough part. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Didn't say give thanks when things are good and not when things are bad. It, it, it may be difficult for us to develop this mindset, but if you and I will have the mindset that whatever I'm going through, God's in it. Whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm facing, God's going to use it somehow in my life. Then, then I can give thanks to God even in the midst of terrible circumstances if I'll stop and think, maybe this is God's will for my life. Maybe God is using this for something in my life to bring me to a better place. To, to teach me something, to grow me up in Him. If we would be thankful like that, no matter what it is we're going through, if we'd be willing to give thanks to Him in all circumstances and show our gratitude to Him. Hey, if nothing else, if you're going through a negative circumstance and you willpower within yourself that I'm going to show my gratitude to God, I promise you doing so will make the negative circumstances feel better in your life. It might not make them go away, but it will make them a whole lot more manageable and a whole lot more digestible for you to walk through if you'll be spending time thanking God even in the midst of your misery. Even through, in, the, in the midst of difficult circumstances, if you'll be thanking Him in all circumstances. Paul, Paul kind of lets us know this. Ingratitude or being ungrateful is a dangerous place for us to be. In Romans chapter 1, Paul writes these words. And by the way, he's getting ready to describe kind of the, the downward spiral of the human race. We think we're evolving to something better. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, that's not the case. We've gone downhill. Here's where it began. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in the thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Ingratitude to God is a dangerous place to live your life because it will take you places you don't want to go. Just like it did to the human race. That's why we need to learn to be thankful and spend time in prayer thanking God. Prayer also should involve this. It should involve repentance and confession of sin. I want to point out to you once again, have I said anything about you asking God for anything yet? Are we making a a list of requests to God yet? No, because there's more important stuff. We need to mark off our prayer list before we get to the part of just asking God. And part of it is repentance and confession of sin. Remember what those seraphim were doing back over in Isaiah chapter 6? They were crying out, holy, holy, holy. Well, all that Isaiah heard and all that Isaiah saw there put things in pretty good perspective for him to where he recognized God is God and I'm not. God is holy and I'm not. And, and he saw himself clearly as a, as a sinner. An example of that is Isaiah. Another example is going to be David. But look at what Isaiah said here. After he saw those seraphim fly and hear them say, holy, holy, holy. And he saw God high and lifted up. Isaiah said, woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, here's the benefit of you recognizing who God is. For you worshiping God and adoring God and recognizing the holiness of God when you start out your prayer and being thankful for what God's done for you. Some people say, well, God's not really done anything for me. Hey, you're breathing, aren't you? Your heart's still beating. And if you're a Christian, if you can't think of no other reason to thank him, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. But you see, if we'll go through this process of thinking who God is and, and, and praising Him and worshiping Him and giving Him thanks, it's going to be pretty easy for us to repent of our sin because we're going to see Him high and lifted up like Isaiah did. And we'll recognize that since we're approaching this holy God, we need to, before we even start thinking about asking God for this and asking God for that, we need to start saying, God, I've messed up. Hey, even as believers, we mess up, amen? And that can hurt our fellowship with God. Here's what David said. Here's another example of repenting of your sin. David, on the other side of having a sexual relationship with a married woman, Bathsheba, and her conceiving a child, and him plotting to have her husband killed in battle trying to cover up his sin... David comes to the point that he cries out to God and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. You ever been there, that place in your life? You've messed up and you look this way and it's in front of you. You lay down at night and it's in front of you. You get up in the morning and it's in front of you. Even as a believer, 
I can remember a point in time not long after I'd been called into the ministry that I felt like I had really, really let God down. And I was haunted by it to the point of tears. And I thought, what in the world? And then I, I remembered this prayer of David's on Psalm 51. And in tears on my knees in my office before God, I'm reading this prayer out to him. Not for David, but for me. He goes on and he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That's ultimately who your sin is against. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Jump down to verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Jump down to verse 9 and 10. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Jump down to verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do you see that last statement? If you want to get God's attention, get honest with God. If you've got something you really, really need to pray about, yes, take time and worship Him and adore Him and give thanksgiving to Him. Recognize who He is. But you also need to repent of your sin because when you're broken before God, He won't despise that. He'll listen to what you're having to say because you come to Him with a broken spirit and you're being honest and you're admitting how you've let Him down, how you've sinned in your life. And you're helping to develop a fellowship that that, that you need in that moment for you to start taking other steps in your prayer life. See, we're actually told to confess our sin as believers. First John is written to believers. This statement I'm about to read is not written to lost people, it's written to believers. And and we're told we need to confess our sin. We're, We're given a promise by God through the pen of John. And we're given a warning also. He said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Look at the first part of that. See, we're not perfect. We're not Jesus. Amen? One day when he returns, the Bible says we'll be like him. You're not there yet. And we do fall and we do make mistakes and we do let him down and we do sin. When we confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The warning is this. If you act like you've not sinned, you're lying to yourself and you're lying to God. You're calling God a liar if you act like you've not sinned. So before we get to the part of our prayer life to where we start to lay requests out before God, we need to begin our prayer with recognizing who he is. We're approaching him by faith. We're recognizing how worthy he is. We're giving worship to him and praise to him and adoration to him. We're giving him thanksgiving for all that he's done for us. We're repenting of our sin. And and then through that process, you get to the point that you ought to think about asking God for things. Not before, but after you take time to work through this other process in prayer. Then make request of, of him. Once again, did you notice how much we've already talked about before I'm going to start to talk to you about you asking God for something? And that's intentional. It sets our focus and our mindset right for our praying. If we'll walk through the other processes that I've just talked about before we start to ask God. 
I, I wish I could remember this morning. I was trying to remember, but there's a, uh, an old pastor that I've got a tape of somewhere preaching on prayer. And he was all up in years. Uh, Becky's uncle, Jim White, is also a pastor. Jim had gave me the, the tape one time years ago to listen to. It was a Bible conference on prayer that they had. And, and this man, I think he was preaching in Samuel 12. But this man, as he was preaching, he said, this is what will revolutionize your, your prayer life. He said, begin to want something for God. Not just want something for yourself. Begin to want something for God. And that will help you have the right perspective when you start to make your request to God. But using all these other elements, it guards us against just coming to God and say, God, here's my wish list. Here's what I want you to do for me. Because that's not what real prayer is about anyway. We're invited to ask. Thank God we are invited to ask. Jesus said in that day, you'll ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. Now, that's not a magical equation for you just getting anything you want from God. Because we're told we need to ask correctly. James 4, 2 and 3 says, you do not have because you do not ask. But he goes on and he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. In other words, just maybe your prayers aren't getting answered because you're asking for the wrong stuff. And, and you're thinking to yourself, maybe, well, I'm doing what the guy on TV told me. He told me if I ask in Jesus' name, that, that, that Jesus will answer it. And then he said, if you'll send me some money, and I send him some money, that that'll kind of guarantee your prayers are going to get answered if you'll send him some money. Don't fall for that trap. Praying in Jesus' name means this. It means praying the will of Jesus. Praying the character of Jesus. You see, in Middle Eastern thought, they thought you couldn't even know someone until you knew their name. And their name meant something about them. When Jesus said, ask in my name, he's not saying you, I'm giving you some kind of magical solution to all of your problems. If you'll just say, Jesus, I want a Mercedes Benz. <laughs> Jesus, I want this. Jesus, I want that. He, he, that's not what he's meaning. He, he's saying when he says, pray in my name, ask in my name, we're to be asking based upon the character of who Jesus is. The will of Jesus, the will of God, not just our own will, not just what we want. You see, he goes on and he said this also. When he talks about praying and asking correctly about his character. John 14, 13, 14 says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Notice this, that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. What was the criteria that Jesus slipped in there? Who's to be glorified? You? God. We're to be asking in prayer things that bring glory to God. 
I can't find a verse in the Bible that says if I pray and God gives me a brand new Mercedes Benz, that brings glory to God. And still, it might bring glory to me. I could be riding down the road and people think, man, he's got a pretty cool car. Except all of you, you'd be thinking, we pay the preacher too much. <laughs> Somebody joked with me about that for buying a used Jeep. <laughs> But we, we, we need to be asking according to what his will is, that God might be glorified. Look at what's said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the request that we have asked of him. So the question instantly comes up, how do I know to pray according to his will? I'm glad you asked that question. What we talked about last week. You'll find out what his will is. Read this. You'll find out what kind of stuff you ought to pray about that he's longing and wants to answer your prayer. Read this to find it out. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How do you abide in him and in his word? This is how you find out what to ask. This is how you find out what to pray for by spending time in his word. Prayer also ought to involve actions of service. When Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, and I'll say more about that in just, in just a moment. He's given them a model of prayer, and Jesus told his disciples to pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what we tend to do with that verse. God, we want you to do your will here in this world. And we sit back to wait for him to do it. Have you ever thought the scenario might be this? If you're praying for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and you're on the earth, just maybe He wants to use you to accomplish His will on the earth? In other words, if you're going to pray about something, you need to put feet to your prayers. If if you're going to pray for someone that's lost, go tell them about Jesus. You you may have prayed for hungry kids as you send in advertisements on TV and said, God, please minister to them. God, please help them. We ought to pray that. But guess what? Today, you can put feet to your prayers by going and visiting this compassion table and see the packets we have set up. And Bill and Chris will be there to help you. And you can put feet and hands on your prayers by adopting one of those children for less than what it would cost you to buy a soda pop every day in the month. You, You can put... Think to your prayers. Jesus himself, many times in the Bible, we see Jesus crying. We see Jesus weeping. We see Jesus praying. He he wept over Jerusalem. He cried over Jerusalem. But then Jesus went into the city and he ministered to people. He went into the city and he also did this. He shed his blood on the cross for our sins. We ought to pray, but we ought to follow the example of Jesus also and actually do something about our prayers. Prayer also involves effectiveness. Effectiveness. Don't ever minimize prayer. Don't ever make prayer your last option. 
That's really what we're talking about today. You see, if you only pray when you've got a need, you won't have much of a prayer life. But if you'll start praying and thanking God for who he is and what he's done each and every day in your life, you can have an expanded prayer life that you never thought you could even have. If you'll start doing more than just asking God for stuff. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is very effective. In James, we're told this, therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Some translations say it's very effective there or effectual there. It goes on and gives us an example of Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. We miss that a lot of times. You read the Bible, you read about Elijah and Moses and things like that, and somehow you let the devil convince you that they're special, that they're different. That's how God used them so great. No, they were sinners just like you and I are. They had natures just like us. But but Elijah was a man with a nature like us, and yet he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. That's just part of the story. If you read the background of that, Elijah went in and told the wicked king of the land, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And it didn't rain until he said it was going to rain. That's having faith to trust in what God's told you. That's what God told Elijah to tell the king. Prayer is very powerful. When the disciples were gathered together praying, as Jesus had told them to, it says as they were praying, the whole place was shaken there as they were praying. And the Holy Spirit came in and fell upon them in, in Acts chapter 4, in, in verse 31. We're also told in Acts chapter 16, in verse 25 and 26, about Paul and Silas being in prison. They were praying and they were singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there's a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfashioned. That's a pretty powerful prayer and praise time, isn't it? And that simply gives us a picture. I'm not saying God will do it the exact same way for you, but I am saying this. Prayer is effective Prayer is powerful, and we need to depend upon prayer instead of just depending upon ourselves. And you need to recognize your prayer life needs to involve a whole lot more than just saying, God, it's me again. I've got a list of things I want you to do. If you expect to have answered prayer, you need to start out knowing that you've got faith in him. You need to be worshiping him. And praising Him and adoring Him. And giving thanksgiving to Him. And repenting of your sin. Then make your request now. Then begin to to pray about the things that you feel like you need in your life. Briefly, I want to show you another passage of Scripture. And give you some recommendations. Maybe think of it like this. Some tips about how to pray. I alluded to this earlier. I think people do get locked up in their prayer life, especially about praying publicly because they've heard somebody that, man, just sounded like poetry, you know, as they're praying. They could do all the these and the thous and everything else, and you grew up and you listen to somebody wax eloquent in their prayer like that, and, and you thought, man, I can't pray like that. I got good news for you. You don't have to. You don't have to. If you know Christ as your Savior, God's your Father, and you ought to be able to talk to Him just like He's your Father. 
Every Christian ought to be able to pray in public and not worry about what anyone else says. First full-time church I was pastor, and I called on a man to pray. And the man all at other times acted like he wanted to be a leader in the church. I mean, if it's a business meeting, he has something to say. <laughs> you know, in a little, little country uh, church uh, uh, over in Wilson County and, and, and everything. So I just thought, well, yeah, he's, he's a leader. And uh, I typically don't ask people beforehand if I'm going to call on them to pray. That's why you better be ready to pray. If I call on you, you better know how to pray if I think you're a Christian. I called on this guy. And I bowed my head up there in the pulpit area, and, and I started listening and waiting and waiting and waiting to hear him pray, and nothing started. So I finally looked up, and he's poking the guy in front of him, trying to make him pray for him. Now, at first, I thought, well, that's kind of comical. That's kind of funny. And then I thought, no, that's kind of tragic. You want to act like you're a leader in this church, you need to be willing to pray. And you need to be willing to pray out loud and not worry about what someone else is thinking about let me give you a couple of main tips. Number one, we need to pray habitually. We need to pray habitually. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. I love the way the Phillips translation puts that verse. Base your happiness on your hope in Christ. When trials come, endure them patiently, steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. We, we teach this next slide in our membership class. So some of you that's just been through that, when I'm talking about Christian maturity, Rick Warren gives this as a model to help you remember in your mind how you ought to pray. I, I kind of love the way it is. He calls it the act up model. See, my mama told me all my life not to act up, you know. Your mama told you not to act up. Well, here we can act up in the right way. Here's a thing that can help you, this acronym, help you remember how to pray. Adoration. Confession, thanksgiving, uplifting, and then the prayer request. Not only should we pray habitually, we, we also need to pray honestly. Honestly before God. Transparently before God. And I read part of it earlier, but we're going to visit the Lord's Prayer just for a minute and then we'll be done. We call this the Lord's Prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. The high priestly prayer of Jesus is in John chapter 17. This is a model prayer. The disciples asked Jesus how to pray, and this is what Jesus is going to tell them. And he tells them, to begin with, you need to pray with the right motive. Because he said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. I did a detailed exposition of this passage here maybe a year ago or so. It's kind of interesting. Stand at the street corner means people on that street and people on this street can see you and you're out there praying. And the motive was wrong. The motive of the hypocrite is, be, is praying to be seen by others. You see, that's why if I ever call on you to pray publicly, you don't need to be freaked out by that. You're not praying to impress me anyway. You're not praying for someone else to hear you. You're praying to your Father. You're talking to God the Father. And that's why you ought to be willing to do it and pray. He said, but I, I say to you, they've received their reward. That's all they get out of it. I want to get more out of my prayers than people thinking of me. Well, that's a good prayer, don't you? 
But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. He's not saying don't ever pray publicly, but he's just telling you how to have this guarded type of prayer in your life. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. In other words, don't just be saying stuff to be saying it. Honestly, communicate to God. Really be telling God what you need to tell him, what you need to say to him. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. You see, you don't need the many words to start with because before you even tell him what you need, he already knows. So don't be freaked out about praying. He already knows what you need to pray about. Just talk to him. Not only do you need to have the right motive, you need to follow the right model. And this is where Jesus gives them the model prayer. There's not necessarily anything wrong with this because I've been in churches that did it, you know, all my life growing up. And, you know, sometimes we may do it. But sometimes people will just start quoting the Lord's Prayer in a worship setting, and that means everyone's supposed to just kind of start quoting and saying what's there. That's not what Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer for. It's not some kind of secret prayer for us just to repeat mindlessly over and over and over and over again. It gives us a model of how we're supposed to pray. Look at it. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Does that sound like something we've already talked about today? In your prayer life, you need to worship God and recognize who God is. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You need to be praying for God's will to be done here upon the earth, and you need to allow God to use you to bring it about. Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, we ought to make requests to God. Tell him what our needs are. Forgive us our debts. We've already talked about that. We need to confess our sins before him. Lead us not into temptation. We need to ask God to give us guidance in our lives. So the model prayer that Jesus gives isn't something for us just all of a sudden to start, "Mm, I said the Lord's Prayer together. (laughs) He gives us a model, an example about how we ought to pray. I know I've thrown a lot of stuff at you, and I know we're past our normal time, but I don't really know what that is. What is our normal time for worshiping God? I know, I know you're visiting, but you better join here now. <laughs> so, but here's... Here's the most important point that I've not really, in a way I've said it, but I've not necessarily specifically said it about prayer. Do it. (laughs) Do it. Get busy praying and, and talking to your heavenly father. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received the spirit of adoption as sons. If you're a Christian, he's made you his child. He's adopted you into the family. And you can cry, Abba, Father, which is really a term of endearment. It's the same thing as looking at God and saying, Daddy, call out to him. Talk to him. But as you pray, you need to also remember this. God knows what's best for you. You may not ever get it answered exactly like you think it ought to happen. I'm thankful God's not answered some of my prayers, to be honest with you. 
God knows what's best, and we need to trust Him. If you start using excuses and saying, I don't really have time to pray. I, I, I don't really have time to do that. And, I'm, and, and I'm, if you use all kinds of excuses about it. Here, here's, here's, here's a simple illustration that will rock your world. Jesus spent all night in prayer a lot of times. Jesus, who is perfectly sinless, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, spent time in prayer. And if Jesus prayed like that, who are we to act like we don't have time to? Or we don't need to pray? There's several hindrances, and I want to bring this up, and then we're going to have the invitation. But the Bible also talks about hindrances to our prayer life. In Psalm 66, it says, If I have cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. In other words, if we're harboring sin in our heart, even as believers, and we're not confessing it before Him, like we talked about earlier, that's going to cause a fellowship problem in your prayer life. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because He's not rejected my prayer or removed His steadfast love from me. If you're going to pray effective prayers, you need to remember and repent of sin. Proverbs 28, verse 9, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination to God. If you're not willing to listen to this, it's like your prayer is an abomination. I think that's a phrase that Jesus used even talking about homosexuality and things. It's been an abomination to him. So if you're not willing to listen to this, your prayer is an abomination to God. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear dull that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That simply means, especially for those of us that are believers, if we want God to answer our prayers, we need to remove the junk that stands between us and Him. Let me illustrate it like this. There have been many times when I was growing up, I did something that was against my mother's will. My dad, as you know, was murdered when I was in the fifth grade. So I, and he worked out of town a lot, so my mom was the one kind of I had to deal with more often. And until I asked mom to forgive me for something that I had done, it's like there's this wall between me and her a little bit. The same thing's true with God. As believers, if we're not repenting of our sin, it's like there's this wall in our fellowship with him. And you're not going to pray effective prayers unless you, unless you get that junk torn out of the way. That's why we need to confess our sin. And if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I want you to listen to what I'm about to do. Because this is the first prayer that you need to pray. Let's pray. Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. Father, I admit that I have fallen short of your glory. I admit to you that I can't save myself. 
You tell me there's no good in me. And Father, I admit that your words are true. But Father, you tell me Jesus died on the cross for my sins. So Lord, I'm going to trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. Completely and totally as the full payment for my sin. Lord, I invite Jesus to come into my life. I invite your spirit to come into my life and dwell and guide me and lead me. Father, forgive me. Birth me into your family. Adopt me as your child through what Jesus did on the cross for me. For I pray that in the name of Jesus. And for us as believers, Father, even though we already know you, God, we admit we don't pray like we should many times. God, we're sorry that many times we just come to you like we've got a shopping list. Lord, help to expand our prayer lives. Father, I pray you make day three church a praying people. Father, I, I, I pray, Lord, that you, that you burden us to spend more time in your word. You speak into us and burden us to spend more time in prayer where we're fellowship and we're talking to you. Help us to worship you and adore you, to thank you for all that you've done for us. Help us to repent of our sins. Father, help us to pray prayers that we're willing to carry through in our own lives and and bring your kingdom into this world as we serve you, as we reach out to a lost world. Father, help us to pray effective prayers by knowing what your will is and praying what you desire. Father, if there is someone in this place that needs to trust in Christ this morning, we pray that they'll do it right now and make it public in this place. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You prayed a moment ago as I was giving you a sample prayer about how to trust Christ as your Savior. If you prayed that, that's the first real prayer God has ever heard you pray. And He promises He answered that prayer if you invited Him into your life. But he doesn't want you to keep it secret. Jesus died publicly on a cross for you. And if you prayed a moment ago to receive Christ, you need to make that public today that you received him. And the rest of us that already know him. I'm about 99.9% sure all of us need to pray more than we're praying. Maybe you need to work that out with God during this time. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.